But the only power source capable of generating 1.21 gigawatts of electricity is a bolt of lightning. What did you say? A bolt of lightning. Well, hey there, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Throwback Thursday. This is the one and only show where we go back in time and we review a movie as if we had seen it for the very first time. And, uh, yeah, for our f for this, uh, and Throwback Thursday's back, guys. Isn't that exciting? A show that you guys have been asking me to bring back for almost two, for two years now. So, I am very excited to bring this show back. And we're going to start with, uh, with a, with, we're going to start with a series of, reviews for the star wars saga um and we are going to start with star wars episode one the phantom menace which was directed by which was written and directed by george lucas stars liam neeson ewan mcgregor nally portman jake lloyd and ian mcdermott um and uh yeah so let's not waste any time guys and let's get right into it let's talk about star wars episode one the Phantom Menace. We all know the famous quotes a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars has solidified itself as the biggest franchise in film history. Coming from the creative mind of George Lucas, Star Wars was conceived as an episodic fairy tale telling the story of the Skywalker family and their journey across the galaxy filled with many creatures and characters. Now, of course, the first film was released, a.k.a. Uh, the first film was released was Star Wars, a.k.a. A New Hope. Uh, but I wanted to kind of break down the series in chronological order because that is the way I grew up watching the films. So that's what I'm going to do, uh, starting with Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. Um, you know, released in 1999, uh, The Phantom Menace was the first film in the infamous Star Wars prequel trilogy. It was the, begin it was the beginning of, a, of the saga and meant to tell the story about Anakin Skywalker became the iconic Darth Vader. Uh, the iconic villain Darth Vader. While critics seem to, while critics seem to not love the film, Star Wars fans, Star Star Wars fans for many years hated the Phantom Menace for the longest time. Some fans even called it the worst Star Wars film. Uh, that's saying a lot because you know this is also the same trilogy that has the Attack of the Clones in it. Uh, we'll get to that later. But in the years since, it seems like the Phantom Menace, along with other with other prequels, 
with the other prequels have grown some kind of a cult following. But the question I had is, why? I mean, yes, there, there are a lot of bad Star Wars films, but why do we give this film a pass? Now, before I analyze the film and discuss why a lot of people have given the film a pass, let me, let me talk to you about my memories of the film. You see, I was born in September of 1999, so by the time I was born, the first of the prequel trilogy had already been released. So my first time watching the Star the prequels was when, when all six Star Wars films came out on DVD. I remember watching them and actually liking the prequels. In fact, Star Wars The Phantom Menace was my favorite in the saga. But sometime around 2011 or 2012, I began to realize that something just didn't feel right. <laughs> and in 2014, I came to the conclusion that Phantom Menace was not good. Uh, but there are elements that have stuck in my memory. Um, there are still moments that I feel completely nostalgic for. You know, So let's break down the film and reveal those moments. And let's talk about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. The film opens with a traditional Star Wars opening. Uh, John Williams' iconic Star Wars music, the uh, the opening crawl to establish uh, where we are in the timeline, and pan down to get us into into the story. We learn that there's a blockade on the planet Naboo by the Trade Federation, which will serve as this trilogy's version of the Empire, and then we meet a young Obi-Wan Kenobi played by Ewan McGregor and his master Qui-Gon Jinn played by Liam Neeson. And Liam Neeson playing a Jedi Master is actually not a bad idea. In fact, some may argue that him and McGregor are the best parts of the prequel trilogy. The, the introduction to these characters is fantastic. And once they start fighting, the action is fantastic. But our, but our problems really start with the aliens. Not just the Trade Federation, but, but even with Jar Jar, all of these aliens speak with speak the English language with accents. Like, the Trade Federation has these stereotypical, you know, Japanese accents, and the worst part about, and the worst part is that these characters would be so much better if they spoke in an alien dialect. Think about what made Jabba the Hutt such a, cre such a creepy uh, character. We had just, we had to just interpret what he was saying by the response from Han Solo and the other characters. Now, if they would replace if they would replace his voice with an English voice, it wouldn't it would have it would have been funny rather than scary. This is a problem we see in other Star Wars films like Solo and even and even when we get into the sequel trilogy as well. But back to the film, uh, we then get introduced to the worst character of the film, Jar Jar Binks. Now, to be fair. Jar Jar Binks being the worst part of this film has nothing to do with the actor. Ahmed Best had to take a lot of trash from Star Wars fans over playing, uh, over playing, uh, over him playing Jar Jar. I mean, because, like, I mean, hell, he all the crap he took because of all the crap he took, he considered suicide. You know, all because he was doing exactly what he was directed and instructed to do, be the comic relief. Jar Jar is not bad because of Ahmed Best, but because of the writing, 
by George Lucas. I mean, come on. Every line that comes out of uh, that comes out of Jar Jar and other and the other Gungans' mouths sounds like a four-year-old wrote it. I mean, how all of this was created by this by someone who wrote the greatest trilogy of films of all time and came up with and came up with something like this is beyond me. But if you think that's the worst, let's talk about Jake Lloyd. I mean, the kid from Jingle All the Way. I mean, Anakin Skywalker. I mean, this. I mean, annoying as. Shit little kid. Seriously. Did George Lucas not watch any other kid actors in the 90s? I mean, you could have picked any other kid and you chose the really bad actor from Jingle All the Way. Now, I know Jingle All the Way isn't like the Oscar caliber film. And even Arnold gives a bad, gives some bad, even there's some dumb moments from Arnold in that film. But... Uh, but compared to Jake Lloyd, almost everybody in that kid is actually at least, uh, almost everybody in that film is at least trying to do to do something fun. Whereas Jake Lloyd was just there to be an annoying as shit little kid. And the writing for the kid wasn't good either. <laughs> Anakin tells Qui-Gon that he had a dream that he was a Jedi and freed all, and came back to, came back to Tatooine to free all the slaves. So apparently Anakin dreamed that he was Moses. Next thing you'll tell me is that Ray had a dream that she was Harriet Tubman. But they do hammer you over the head with Anakin becoming a messiah. Because Anakin's mother tells Qui-Gon Jinn that he has no father. Which brings Qui-Gon to the conclusion that, that he was born through the Force. And to that I say, bullshit. I'm sorry. But this, I, but this idea completely contradicts everything Obi-Wan established about the Force in A New Hope. The Force is an energy field that binds the universe together. But now apparently it can, but now it, apparently it can birth the Star Wars version of Jesus Christ. I mean, come on, this is the same stupid spiritual bullshit that ruined the origins of, of the Avatar in, in The Legend of Korra. But then we get one of the best sequences of the film, and it, and it is called the pod race. The pod race is one of those rare moments in the Phantom Menace that truly feels like classic, like a classic Star Wars moment, a moment that's filled with adrenaline, humor, and heart, and, and heartfelt moments. And you absolutely get that here. You can also tell that Lucas structures this scene almost like the forest chase in Return of the Jedi with better green screen of course the only thing i don't like about uh, about this whole scene and there's and you know there's a lot of things i love about it but the only thing i don't like about it are the baseball announcers like they feel completely out of place in this in this junkyard of a world known as tatooine but but other than that this scene is fucking awesome now, back to the shits. <laughs> what in the fuck is with Padme and Anakin? Like, Lucas for some reason wanted Anakin to be this 10-year-old little shit, but made Padme a 14-year-old queen of a planet. I'm sorry, but this just feels weird, especially when you know where this goes, which clearly I do. It just feels weird. 
But now we move to more boring political talk and boring and boring talk with the Jedi Council. Apparently, Anakin is too old to be a Jedi, which is fucking stupid, even even though it was never established in the original Star Wars lore. We also learn what midichlorians are, which, again, contradicts the original trilogy. So not only are we making the Force spiritual, not only are we, are we making Anakin essentially the Star Wars equivalent to Jesus Christ, but we're also making midichlorians... We're taking the force and making it science. Like, it just, it just, I just feel like at some point Lucas just, I feel like at some point George Lucas just sat there, got got high on his couch and thought midichlorians was a good idea. It It's, I, I, I made this comparison earlier, but it's almost like in The Legend of Korra, when they explain what the Avatar state is. They really tell you where, how the, the Avatar state started, um, who was the first Avatar, and all this stuff. And essentially, what the message of that story was, was essentially, you know, the, that, you know, the Avatar is essentially, the, is essentially Jesus Christ. Instead of it being more based within, you know, Chinese spirit, uh, you know, within the original, you know, like, like a like a like like a, a Chinese uh, spiritual uh, spiritism, you know. Instead, they they took just they they essentially just turned the avatar into Jesus Christ, and it just it just didn't make sense for what the original show set up. That would have been fine had the original show kind of teased that up, but it never did. The same thing can be said about midichlorians in this in in the star wars universe now i'm sh- now i'm sure there are many books and comics that kind of tie it all together and that make more sense of it i'm sure i'm sure there are and, but here's the thing unless you are the most diehard of diehard star wars fans like a Christian Harloff from the Sith Council, you're not gonna understand what that can. You're not gonna understand what makes midichlorians the same thing as the Force. Like you're not gonna understand that whole concept unless you are a diehard Star Wars fan and completely read all the books, all the comics, play all the video games. You know, watch all the TV shows. It's just gonna go right over your head. But. But we're going to end the film, uh, but we're going to the end of the film where we get a classic Star Wars third act. And the Phantom Menace, and the Phantom Menace's definition of that is the lightsaber, fu- the lightsaber duel is the best fight, and the rest of the third act is boring as shit. The lightsaber fight with Darth Maul is heavily choreographed, and they look like they're dancing. But I don't give a fuck. It looks cool. I mean... Especially once once Qui-Gon dies and Obi-Wan just j- comes right into the fight and starts and and starts going toe-to-toe with Darth Maul. I mean, yeah, it looks like a total it looks like a total, you know, dance performance. You know, it looks like it looks like it can totally be on um on uh, on dancing with the stars. But it looks I don't give a crap. It just looks cool. You know? 
and the the music that plays in the background, dual the 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 the, the track dual the fates is perfect. This whole lightsaber fight is perfect. But on the other hand, you get Padme and her gang of gang of merry men, you know, run around and sneak around the palace, which is boring as shit. And then you have Anakin joining a space battle, which is <laughs> while wearing a helmet that perfectly fits his fucking head, which which is one of, if not the biggest sin that this movie has committed. And there's a lot of sins that this movie has committed. But this, for me, is the biggest one. Let me explain why. My problem with this is that Lucas is trying to get me to buy the fact that Anakin is strong with the Force. And that he is the prophesized chosen one. Right? And the fact that Anakin is the one who is destined to bring balance to the Force. He is essentially... It's like I said earlier. They, they're, they're pitching Anakin in... In this in this saga to be the Messiah, you know. My problem with this is that Lucas. So so yeah, that that's my that's my problem. Okay. So why in the hell is there a helmet in a ship that fer, that perfectly fits his tiny ass little head? If the helmet was bigger. And it blocked his vision. We could have gotten a Neo from the Matrix moment where where we see why Anakin is the prophesized chosen one. Where we, you know, Anakin, you know, so Anakin can't rely on being able to see out of the helmet. He has to rely on his, he has to rely on the force. He's kind of, no pun intended, forced <laughs> into relying on, on this power that's within him, you know. It would have made Anakin's arc that much more tragic, you know, because they, because we as an audience could have seen what what his potential was as a Jedi the same way that Qui-Gon did. Because, and we're going to get into this, of course, when we get into the other films, you know, we're, we're going to, of course, get into this when we talk about, you know, like uh, when we talk about uh, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, but... Not once during the trilogy. Now, I'm not talking about the Clone Wars show because I know the Clone Wars show delves a lot into Anakin, delves a lot into setting up his his arc in, in Revenge of the Sith. But... But I'm just strictly talking about the movies. Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones do not ever give me the impression that Anakin was supposed to be this great Jedi. I never once got that. I never once got that. And again, I'll get more into that when I talk about Attack of the Clones, because Attack of the Clones definitely doesn't give me any of those vibes. And it's kind of, it, it kind of underserves Anakin's arc a little bit. The fact that you're setting up his arc to be this tragedy, you know, that he is the chosen one and that he is meant to bring balance to the force, but instead because of you know, because of love and because of other things that has happened to him, 
it caused him to make a shift and turn into the villain we know from the original trilogy. But it's when you're doing something like this, like when you're like when you have him as a 10 year old kid putting on a helmet that perfectly fits him going into a, uh, a base where the main reactor is in. Uh, I'm sorry, but, but whose bright idea was it to put the, the main reactor that can blow everything up? Whose bright idea was it to put that in the hangar bay? I just want to know, like, did someone from the trade federation really fuck this up? Like, like I just, I, 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 I didn't notice that 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 until I watched it again uh, in preparation for this review. But, but there's a there's a moment where 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 Anakin goes to blow up the thing, and it's in the hangar bay. And I'm like, whose bright idea was? At least the Death Star tried to hide it. At least the Empire tried to hide that reactor, you know. And obviously, in Rogue One, you find out why that you know two by two hole is is on the Death Star. But it's like it's like even at least the at least the the empire tried to make it difficult for you to for you to actually uh, hit it, you know. Um, so Qui Gon dies, Darth Maul gets half his body cut off, and we have a celebration with Obi Wan agreeing to train Anakin. The end. <laughs> In conclusion, um, and I'm I'm gonna wrap all this up by 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 saying this. The Phantom Menace has good aspects about it, but it is bombarded by a lot of decisions, characters, and plot lines that just feel like a lesser filmmaker created it. And this is written and directed by the man who built this universe. I wish I could say my my nostalgia made this fun made this a fun experience, but I can't help but think this could have been improved. Had George Lucas brought a brought on a co-writer, and and look look look, I I know I know that's I know that's that that's not easy for a lot of Star Wars fans to hear, but I gotta speak I gotta speak my honest opinion here, you know, my problem with the Phantom Men and look if there's anybody who wanted to put on the nostalgia glasses and just. And just watch Phantom Menace and go, oh wow, look, I remember this scene, all the pottery scene, all the Darth Maul fight. And and look, don't get me wrong, when those moments happen, I'm completely just I feel like a kid again. I feel like I'm that kid who watched it for the first time. You know, when I watch that lightsaber fight, I feel like that kid who watched it for the first time. When I watch the pot race, I feel like that kid that I was when I watched it for the first time. But my problem with the uh, but my my problem with uh, uh, with Phantom Menace is that the the writing it just boggles my mind that this is written by George Lucas because we all know what a amazing storyteller Lucas is. Lucas is an incredible storyteller. He's great at coming up. Like if you were to give me. 
like a treatment. Now, for those of you, very quick thing on what a treatment is. A treatment is kind of like a uh, a basic outline for what you want to happen in your film. If if George Lucas were to hand me the treatment for the prequel trilogy, I would have read that treatment and go, "Wow, this is great. This not this isn't this isn't just great. This is f- a fucking masterpiece." However, He is not good at writing scripts. He's not good at writing dialogue. The scripts for these films are not good. The dialogue is not good. The direction is not good. There is a reason why Irvin Kirshner ended up directing Empire Strikes Back. Because Lucas... He's not a strong director. He's a he's a very good he's a very good storyteller, but he is not a strong um, director. You know, when you think back to George Lucas, I mean, yeah, he had a great movie with American Graffiti, um, and then the original Star and then Star Wars: A New Hope. He was did a great job with that. Um, you know, and ultimate and you know, I and I'll be honest, I'm. You know, spoiler alert when we get to Revenge of the Sith, but I love Revenge of the Sith. So George Lucas has directed good stuff, but it's just like he's he. But that that doesn't mean he's the strongest director. You know, even even A New Hope, I would contend, has minor directing flaws, you know. So. To kind of. To kind of wrap all this up, let me just say one more thing uh, about about the Phantom Menace. I am not taking away that George Lucas was passionate when he made this this trilogy. Of course he was, uh, you know. And there's nothing to take away from that. There's there's nothing taken away from somebody who created this franchise being passionate about it. I mean, hell, this is coming from somebody who talked so much shit about Avatar 2, and look what happened. I ended up loving Avatar The Way of Water. Like, I was talking so much shit. Why is James Cameron focusing on this? Why is, why can't he just go back to, to doing something else? And look, I, I walked out of Avatar The Way of Water, and I loved it, you know? So I don't have a problem that George Lucas wanted to go back and 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 revisit this franchise again. But what I think George Lucas should have done before doing the prequels, he should have directed one or two more movies. Like, like he he should have done exactly what Spielberg did after Indiana Jones. Just direct a bunch of movies. Just, just direct a bunch of movies. You know, go and be a filmmaker. Like, put out a new movie every two to three years. Because if that George Lucas had given us the Star Wars prequels, I'll be honest, I think they would have turned out so much better. So guys, that will do it for this uh, this episode of Throwback Thursday. Um, it's, uh, we're, we're, it's back. It's back and it's better than ever. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I will be back next week to talk about Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. 
So, uh, yeah, uh, that will do it for this episode of Throwback Thursday, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, don't forget, guys, please make sure you go s- support the Zeke Setso podcast. Uh, podcast. Uh, support it by sharing the podcast, or you can go, you can also support it by uh, going to the support feature that's in the link of every description of the podcast below. Um, also, a uh, big special thank you to our sponsor, uh, Anchor Podcasting, for for continuing to sponsor the Zeke Said So show. And uh, also, guys, make sure you go check out my new movie, What to Watch, A Love Letter to Physical Media. It is available on the Zeke Said So Pictures YouTube channel. Um, so go check it out and and support, support independent film. Uh, and yeah, that will do it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for uh, for listening. Um, if you guys like the podcast, please make sure to share it and subscribe. I think you guys should subscribe to the podcast because Zeke the Geek said so. And um, yeah, I'll talk to you guys later. Peace out. The future!